Are you ready to take the next step in your multifamily investing career? The time has never been better than now. Think Multifamily's Deal Analysis Workshop is a comprehensive live training course that will help increase your skills, knowledge, confidence as an investor before you invest. This workshop is a unique experience that provides hands-on instruction and guidance directly from Mark Kinney, who has completed over 100 multifamily syndications valued at over $1 billion. This course goes beyond theory as you will be presented with real case studies and practice scenarios to work out in class. By the end of the training, you will have significantly improved your ability to evaluate deals quickly, make informed decisions, and take your investing skills to the next level with confidence. For more information and to register for Think Multifamily's Deal Analysis Workshop, go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash D-A-W, use code Whitney100 to save $100. The Deal Analysis Workshop is designed for both beginner and experienced investors. Whether you are looking for a foundational understanding of how to analyze multifamily investments or looking for fresh insight on how to pivot your analysis method, for this current market cycle, this is a workshop you have been looking for. Register today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash DAW. Use code Whitney100 to save $100. So you're starting to get into you know smaller family offices and some pretty successful families. You're seeing more allocation to real estate there. So how that translates into strategy is finding good deals that those investors are going to like to see inside our funds. We don't do single assets very often anymore. We typically raise in a fund format, which some of those larger investors really want. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. I'm grateful you have decided to listen again today. Our guest, Ivan Barrett, is back And we are going to talk about capital raising during a recession. He's got so much experience in this space. You heard him yesterday talk about getting started in his bedroom, his management company, to now have purchased over 6,000 units. He's raised over $250 million. He's so experienced in raising money. And you're going to hear some techniques of how what he was doing when he got started versus you know what he's doing now, even what he's spending on marketing, which blows my mind a little bit. But you're going to learn a lot from Ivan. Also, want to remind you to like and subscribe to the show. If you'll leave us a written rating and review on iTunes, and you'll send us a screenshot of that to info at LifeBridge Capital, we'll send you a recommended book of mine as a gift. Ivan, welcome back to the show. I want to welcome the listeners as well. And I hope that you listened to yesterday's show with Ivan, where he he went from a property management company in his bedroom to over 6,000 units acquired. It's an incredible story. I know you're going to learn a lot from Ivan. I'm looking forward to jumping back in today. Oh. Capital raising during a recession. You've raised a lot of capital. I just very experienced in that regard, to say the least. So I know many of the listeners are trying to raise capital and many are passive investors as well. So I just think, you know, both sides of that coin, they're going to learn a lot from you today. But what about some strategies? Let's t- jump into strategies you've used to raise capital, specifically during a recession or just your thoughts around during a recession and trying to raise money. Yeah. First, I'll say that this year with the market volatility Certainly the air coming out of a lot of speculative assets, crypto, stock market, the housing market is certainly correcting, especially in some of the red hot post-COVID markets where prices swung 
way off the, the mean. So you're you're seeing this, I would say, like tale of two investors right now. My larger, more sophisticated investors, some might classify them as the ultra high net worth, where in most circles that's north of 30 million in net worth. So you're starting to get into you know smaller family offices and some pretty successful families. You're seeing more allocation to real estate there. So how that translates into strategy is finding good deals that those investors are going to like to see inside our funds. We don't do single assets very often anymore. We typically raise in a fund format, which some of those larger investors really want. Some will do both, but some really like the diversification and the spreading out of risk in a fund. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got your smaller LPs that are maybe putting 50K, 100K bets down on four, five, six sponsors. They've seen their stock market portfolio crush 20, 30% in some cases. Maybe they invested in crypto, maybe they didn't. But they're a lot more sensitive to the volatility in the market. And even though they all say, what Warren Buffett says, right? Be greedy when people are fearful. When it comes to putting that into practice, they may just not have the liquidity to put any more money to work, or they may just be too fearful of where we are in the market cycle and, and what might happen. So I'm kind of rambling on here about this, but one strategy that really helped me in particular I'm sure there's other ways to do this, but we've really doubled down on education from an investment standpoint to our investors, trying to not only shoot them when we get a good deal and, hey, just check it in. We've got you know an opportunity to allocate to, but also sending out some brief memos or some brief videos on how we're looking at the market, why we think this is now a better opportunity to buy, maybe not to sell as many assets, but a better opportunity to buy. There's there's more deals to be had. But not just saying that, really getting into the root of why that may be occurring, where we look for our assets, why rental housing in many markets across the country is still very strong due to supply and demand, and other ways of educating them on how we deal in, in the short term and the long term. And we're finding those investors are quite curious and asking lots of questions. And so it, it really starts there with with the education, I think it is going to be harder for newer syndicators that don't have a track record. My track record comes up quite a bit in new investor calls. And we've even gone so far as to start auditing our exits. We started doing that about a year ago, going back and auditing the exit. So we can say to our new potential investors that this track record I'm showing you is in fact real. It was audited by an independent third-party third party, accounting yeah. firm. Yeah. Those two things have been pretty good. And, and yeah, really just trying to reinforce with the investor that it is a buyer's market right now. And it, we don't think it's going to be 2008. There's not a subprime wave of foreclosures coming. There's not much likelihood of a big capital markets freeze. But there are, there are opportunities to transact assets where we can add the value with a high degree of confidence that we need to have a high degree of confidence in delivering the returns that we say we're going to deliver. Because if that starts suffering, it becomes harder to raise capital. For the new investor, you know, something I learned a long time ago in any market, Whitney, is you got to stuff that funnel. You've got to stuff your pipeline, right? You've got to fill it with potential investors because 
Some are not going to invest with you. Some might sit in there for six months or six years. I had a guy that just wrote a check for two million bucks. He's been on my slow drip list for eight years. Wow. Out of nowhere, check for two million bucks, right? And I just pleasantly, you know, hounded the guy for the last eight years. And when I say hounded, I, I kind of I'm kind of joking, but you know, kept in front of him. Hey, this is what we're doing. No big deal. If you're interested, great. If it fits into your portfolio, awesome. It's a little bit of that soft approach. You still got to sell, but it's it's kind of like dating. If you're a little bit too desperate, you know, that's that's not going to be as attractive to the person that you would like to date, right? But if you stuff that pipeline full enough and you do these little things like we talked about in yesterday's show about those those right actions, no matter how small they are, every day, those can add up and compound over time. But I often find operators that are counting too many eggs before they've hatched, too many chickens before the eggs have hatched. And, you know, at at the last minute, an investor gets cold feet and says, you know, I can't invest right now. And and they're coming up short versus stuff in that pipeline over raising and, and then having to give some money back, which creates that urgency for investors the next time. That reminds me, you know, that 60 unit project I told you about yesterday's show where I had to raise, I had to raise maybe 600,000 on that one. That was before the big million dollar raise. But I'll never forget, there was one gentleman that I've been talking to for a year and a half. I thought he was going to invest, right? And he kind of went radio silent there towards the end of the commitment time. And I just backed off and had enough people in the pipeline. I keep doing this in my sales funnel, right? And ended up raising the money elsewhere. So he calls me a couple of weeks after it closed and says, hey, sorry, I was I was busy. I'm ready to invest. And I said, gosh, I'm all invested now. We closed that asset. And he was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you closed it. Like, please, you know, next deal, make sure and tell me ahead of time. And that gentleman has invested in nearly every project I've done since. So that's maybe 20, 22 assets he's allocated to, whether a single asset or a round inside our fund. And I think now he's invested close to maybe 15 million with me. Wow. That's incredible. It was a big turning point for us as well. When we could start filling up deals, let's say within the first few hours or the first 24 hours. And then all of a sudden everybody else gets an email that says you're on the wait list, you know, like that changed things for us to where then the deals after that just started filling up that much faster. Yeah. And the more you do well in this business and the more you show returns and communicate and respond quickly and show transparency, the more that momentum builds. I'd say it's slowed down a little bit this year, but we're getting bigger checks from a fewer amount of people. So it's it's sort of evened out. What's been the best ways to fill that pipeline like you're talking about or ways you would recommend now, you know, operators to increase that funnel? Well, before I get into that, I do want to tell the operators in the office, you know, there, there is other ways to raise capital. You can go out and get joint venture capital from, you know, one source to write the check. But as you and I know, in that scenario, you're typically going to give up more economics. You're going to give up some control. And a lot of those groups out there want to operate guys like you and me like a puppet. And if you don't like the idea of that and you're willing to put in the work and the time and grow a a business of raising capital, there's absolutely a better, bigger reward down the line. It's some of the stuff we're going to talk about right now. It's it's pretty simple, 
but it ain't easy. Right. It ain't easy. You want me to go with what we do now or what I did early on? Well, maybe like you what, could briefly what, what hit what you did early value? on. However, you know a lot more now. You're much more experienced than you were then, right? <laughs> so maybe you can briefly say what you did then, but how you would even advise someone now to, well, to hammer in sure. knowing so, what you know. So for me, and I'm just going to do my journey here. Everybody's journey is different. I'm going to do my journey here. I was a door-to-door salesman. And I say that tongue-in-cheek. But I first started my own market, my own network, my own neighborhoods. And I took, I mean, I, I mean, if my first CRM was Evernote and I just, every time somebody popped into my mind, I would list them on a list. And most of those people never invested, but a lot of them led me to somebody who did. I just started taking out every successful person in any business medicine that I could get to listen to. And she said, Hey, I want to show you what I'm doing. I'd love some feedback. And I would do a breakfast, two lunches a day, meet somebody for drinks or dinner at night. And I was just constantly, constantly meeting with people. Now, of course, now, you know, that was before Zoom. So you you could do a lot of this on Zoom. I'm not quite sure that that would work as well as actually going out, making the rounds, shaking the hands, kissing the babies, and really maximizing the value in your own local network. And If you're in a small town and you want to go big in this business, you might be in the wrong town. But that was the real start of the momentum. So today, gosh, we've got a thousand investors or so. I'd say now only maybe 30, 40% are in the Indianapolis market. And the rest are across 45 states and a few countries. But in the beginning, it was way more concentrated here. And I had this little growing concentration of California investors like we talked about yesterday that I started growing through management. I've raised a ton of capital on bigger pockets. A ton. Doing what? Well, I was I was gonna tell you. <laughs> I was gonna tell you. If you keep it to yourself, I'll tell you. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Just let me record it's, it. <laughs> it's not rocket science here, folks. Adding value. Yeah. You know, now I've got a team that does it, but we get on there and sure we've advertised on Bigger Pockets podcast now, but for years, all we've done is just added value to the ecosystem. People have questions, we answer them or we give them ideas or we or we we try to help when we can. And we doing that early on, you know, I got some people that now that are on there that refer me all kinds of business from Bigger Pockets. And it doesn't solve the entire pie of where investors come from, but it adds millions of dollars to what we raise on a yearly basis. And then, gosh, treating everybody the same has been a big one. My favorite story is I've got a realtor that's invested maybe a hundred grand with me over a couple of deals. He referred me to a friend of his that's now invested 8 million bucks with me. You just never know where those referrals are going to come from. And my dad built a business that way, taking care of clients. Clients tend to refer you to their friends and that can grow. And that is, you know, still one of our greatest sources of capital. Number one is repeat investment. Again, I go back to doing what you say you're going to do, having the discipline to do deals you only have a high degree of confidence in, especially you capital raisers out there. You're teaming up with a group of syndicators you better know who the who that lead sponsor is and they better have a great track record and know what they're doing because you're putting your name on the line when you're bringing a million dollars from your friends and family to the deal. 
and that deal goes south, it's going to be your reputation that follows. I was going to say something else there, and then I, I lost my train of thought. Let's see. A repeat investment. Yeah, referrals. Still second greatest source of new capital. They're the best leads you can possibly get when sure. somebody says, hey, I invest with BAM. You should check them out. What's the majority of your marketing dollars spent on right now towards you know finding new investors? Oh, crap. Now? I don't want that to be a blockage to any young entrepreneurs out there. But now, I mean, we're spending across content generation and advertising and testing different advertising channels. We're probably spending a million bucks a year. Yeah. You know, but a lot of that's still testing what's working and what's not. And we've only started doing that in the last year and a half or so. Before that, it was much more organically concentrated. Yeah. And if you could pick one or two avenues that you're spending that on now... Where would you focus? Like, if, no, if you had to, or let's say if you had to scale that down to like, <laughs> you know, $100,000 or 50000 like, where would you put that? Who am I talking to right now? Am I talking to somebody that's, am I talking to you or am I talking to, yeah, am I talking to, you're talking audience? to me right now. <laughs> well, yeah, listen, sorry. it's wild. I spent 25 grand on a LinkedIn campaign that got me zero, it got me one investor. Okay. We thought it was a total flop. And at the last minute, we had one investor come through and he's put 2 million bucks with me. I've had other success with Google keywords, but then that all changed again, like a month ago. So I think the best thing I could say is what we do is we have several different channels going, but then we have somebody tracking the dollars spent and the dollars coming in. So when that lead comes into our CRM, we're doing our best to keep track of those leads and what ad spend channel they're coming from. And we're constantly rerunning a cost of capital on that channel. And so channels that seem to be doing well will increase the spend and ones that aren't, we decrease the spend. What CRM Um, are you all using now? I use Copper, which is CRM. Okay. Yeah. It's like a Salesforce if I had to guess, I'd say we'd probably be on a Salesforce the next couple of years. But Copper is a great one to, you know, it's a per user deal. So if you only got a, a couple of people operating out of it, it's pretty inexpensive and you could customize it to what you're looking to do. It's like any other tool, Whitney. It's really about the operator and how well you're using it. Bad data in, you're going to get bad results coming out. Yeah, we're using Salesforce now, or we've just migrated. And so it's been a, a massive how, mountain to, to climb. Yeah, I was going to say, how's that migration? Oh, my goodness. It's it's uh, oh, it's like Mount Everest, I, I believe. It's a bit similar. <laughs> However, I, I take no credit for it. My team's done all of it, which has been just amazing. But nice. we're, we're getting there little by little. So I think it's going to be good long term. But, man, it's a lot to bite off, to say the least. Unfortunately, I mean, we could talk about this so long, but uh, we don't have a ton of time left in this segment. But I do want to ask you, as you think about raising capital, I almost want to go to the passive investor side of this, though. And how do you see a passive investor right now preparing for a downturn? What should they be looking for in these deals that they're looking to invest in to ensure that these deals, these investments are prepared for a downturn? Or, you know, what you even expect over the next six to 12 months that, hey, I need to ensure that my operator knows this or is prepared for these things? Man, that's a whole nother topic. It's a great one. In a few short words, I would say the cycle we're entering, the education as an individual investor is incredibly important. You know, we're coming out of a period where just about everything worked. And a lot of people, a lot of mediocrity got bailed out with low interest rates and cheap money. 
that's going away, right? So we're seeing now this flight to quality and investments where you really got to understand the investments you're getting into, the downside as much as the upside. So I, I invest passively in a few other asset classes and with people I know, and I, I'm not going to get into asset class here because I don't I don't want to steer anybody. I think people should get educated. But when I look at deals, I look at the team and the track record. Sure. I bet on management teams and sponsors before I look at the deal. That's been a big transition for a lot of my investors because they get to look at what the deals are, but they get a lot less insight in a fund than they did looking at single asset deals. And I have to educate my investors, look, you're not betting on the deal. I, a good sponsor can take a mediocre deal and eke out a pretty good return. A mediocre sponsor can take a great deal and screw it up pretty quick. So I think you're going to see some people leave our business, Whitney. I think there's some people that don't really have any business being in it. And they went to where they thought the easy money was. And they're realizing right now that, that this is not easy. I think that pretty much captures what I want to get out there. You know, get educated, know your sponsor, look at a lot of different deals. That'll help with that osmosis portion. What I hear is like the fundamentals don't change. Even if we're going into a recession, it's still looking at the operator, the deal. I mean, the operator, uh, their track record, man, can they, can they handle the deal anyway, much less in a recession? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Op- and operations is where we're getting probably about a third of our value add is from the operations side. It's not just improving units and increasing rents. It's also keeping costs down and finding ways to cut costs. That's what we. That's one of our favorite things to do is find deals that are spending too much money on operations. We love picking those off. Operations is going to be critical moving forward. Yeah, no doubt about it. The good news is for you and me is that housing can't be disruptive. You know, there's not going to be some new technology that comes out and we don't have houses anymore. There's always going to be a portion of the population that that needs to rent. And there's a lot of signs that show that that will likely grow in the coming years. And then it just comes down to finding markets that are emerging. It's the old emerging markets play. Go where the puck is headed, right? And that's the other part of adding that value is finding those markets where we've got job growth, population growth, good schools, people want to live there, right? And so pairing that with the forced appreciation, I like to call it, or the, the value add, that's how I can get my returns to the, the upper end of my, my target. Ivan, man, so much we could talk about. I, I wish we could just spend like the next five hours going into... Well, the so last thing I'll say to, to the, you know, the operators out there that are learning, you got to talk to your investors. Now's a better time yeah. to buy than it has been the last two years. Yeah. There's better deals out there right now. You know, and don't try and time the market thinking there's going to be even better, better deals a year from now. A bunch of people did that during COVID. And what did prices do, my friend? Yeah. They went up. Yeah. You remember being on that call together? We were on a call. It was a bunch of us. And people were talking about negative rent growth into the model and and sitting on the sidelines. And it was it was going to be Armageddon. Right. Yeah. And what what happened? A bunch more people looked for garden apartments in the suburbs and and rents went up and demand went up. And yeah, I had somebody approach me at a conference a few weeks back and, and he just said, hey, I got out like four or five years ago. He was preaching that it's just the end, right? You shouldn't buy anything. Shouldn't buy anything. Shouldn't buy anything. And he, I mean, he was the big very ones trend- coming. Yeah, he, that's right. The big things kind of, you know, just can't buy anything right now. I mean, he was so open about it. And now and he was very transparent about it. Even then he just said, hey, I was wrong. Wish I had stayed in, you know, wish I'd kept going. Yeah. I'm in the school of thought that 2008 was an 80 to 100 year event. Those sorts of real estate crashes 
don't come along all the time. And if people are operating right now, like it's going to be 2008, they're going to miss out on opportunities because while we are going to hit a recession, this one's going to be different than the 2008 and different than 2001 and different than the double dip in the nineties. They're, they're all a little bit different and they all, they all happen for different reasons. Can we get your thoughts on that in the next segment? Sure. All right, let's do that. Ivan, thank you so much, man. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you. I'm easy to find Google my name there. Whoops. Down here, Ivan Barrett, Google the BAM companies. I think we're the BAMcompanies.com. Pretty easy to find out there on all the socials. 317-762-2625, 317-762-2625. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 